0: For the love of goats, we are talking about everything goat. Whether you're a goat owner, a breeder, or just a fan of these wonderful creatures, we've got you covered. And now, here's Deborah Neiman.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode. Today is a really special day because I am able to reconnect with Margaret Hathaway, who is an author and also the co-owner of 10 Apple Farm, which is an agritourism business in Gray, Maine. I first met Margaret and her husband, Carl, way back when we had only been on our farm for about three years. It was the winter before we started building our house and they were traipsing all over the country, literally, because they thought they wanted to get goats. But I mean, I always tell people, you should do your research, right, before you get goats. And they took that to a whole new level. Carl and Margaret decided to take a whole year traveling the United States, literally coast to coast, visiting goat farms and goat businesses and just goat everything. So that's where we're going to get started today. Welcome to the show, Margaret. Oh, thanks for having me. This is so exciting. It's so great to see you over Zoom. I know it is. I haven't seen you in decades. How many years? Like, like take your oldest child and add a few years to it. Right? I know. It's crazy. Yeah. The year of the
0: goat was, it was in 2003 that we met you. So it's been, I think, 18 years since we visited you. Yeah.
1: Okay. That was even longer than I thought. I was thinking it was like a year later. So tell us a little bit about the year of the goat, like how you got into this crazy thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was crazy, like full stop
0: craziness. but. Carl and I, we lived in New York City, and we just had an inkling that that wasn't where we wanted to be for the rest of our lives, and we had this crazy idea that we wanted to raise dairy goats and make cheese, but we had absolutely no experience with goats at all. So we took the the skills that we had, Carl was a photographer, and I was a writer, and we took the skills that we had to take a year visiting farms and goat businesses, goat experiences all over the country. So we visited, I think we visited close to hundred farms and did things, you know, as diverse as visiting the goats that were being trained for Ringling Brothers Circus in Florida. We went to goat and sheep auctions in Texas. We went to visit various dairy operations Angora operations and went to a few diversified homesteads like yours, which were really, we were looking for a model of what we wanted to do. And that ended up being what we settled on when we started our own farm here in Maine. But really you guys and Rick and Laura Lee, Lee at Quillis Ascot Farm in Washington state are like the two models that we use to start our own, our own farm. So
1: thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That's so sweet. Especially knowing how many places you visited. (laughs) Yeah. Out of all the the hundreds (laughs) of places
0: we went to, the two of you were the, the ones that influenced us the most. But really, you know, visiting you and at the time you had three young kids who were so just engaging and wonderful. And your farm, there was always it seemed like there were so many interesting things going on. You know, it was goats, but it was also horses. And I think you had ducks and chickens and it just felt like the kind of farm that we envisioned ourselves on. And now, you know, we have three kids and we have ducks and chickens and goats and sheep and pigs. So it turned out it was a good fit. You guys were good role models.
1: Oh, good. And so tell us a little bit then about after the year of the goat, you went out searching for the right farm and. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we spent a year from
0: August of 2003 to August of 2004 visiting farms. And then in August of 2004, we got married in this very goat themed wedding and started looking for property and looking for a, a place to, at first we wanted to build, we had this vision of a straw bale house was what we wanted to do. And ultimately we couldn't find the right piece of property to, to build on. And um, then we found out that we were expecting our first kid. And so a farm with a structure on it already seemed kind of important. So um, in 2005, we found this big old rambling sieve of a farmhouse that you know has it's like needs so much work in so many ways but we love it it's a labor of love but it was on 10 acres of land and it had a little orchard and a garden and a barn that really hadn't been used for agriculture probably since the 70s. Um the people we bought the house from or like having a regular poker game in one of the stalls in the barn. And we kept every time, <laughs> every time we would shovel it out, we would find poker chips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in 2005, we bought the farm. And in 2006, we got our foundation herd of four alpines, and um, then got some chickens. And then you know, that's sort of, you know how that goes, then eventually you end up with like, too many goats, and you have to sell some. And so now we're at kind of our sweet spot of twelve goats. We have one sheep, a couple geriatric sows, and our middle daughter, who's about to turn thirteen, raises Yorkshire Berkshire pig crosses with 4-H that she shows at the fair in the fall. And then you know chickens and ducks and and things like that. So, so we've been here since uh, 2005, and and have had gradually
1: been repopulating the place with animals since then. So you saw, I think I could probably say literally everything that can be done with goats in the United States, you know, from fiber to meat, to dairy, to pets, to homesteads, to packing, hiking, agritourism. So why did you ultimately settle on agritourism as the business that you wanted to have on your farm?
0: Well, it's funny when we moved here, we joined the main cheese guild and I think there were 18 producers of goat cheese and I thought, okay, the market is saturated. There is no space for us. Now there's like like 85 producers of goat cheese. It was definitely not a saturated market. I totally misread that. But at the time, it seemed like there were some really great cheeses already being made and and we knew we wanted dairy animals, but what we really liked about milking goats was kind of the meditative quiet time with the animals. And as soon as you become a licensed dairy, you know, that, that kind of goes out the window, it becomes a very different process. So we started small hand milking and just realized that that was the rhythm that we really liked and then had to figure out how we could turn that into a business. And we had seen, in uh, Washington State, the Quillis Gasket Farm, they opened the farm up for workshops and they did butchering workshops and classes, and they had a sort of a bunkhouse that they had built. And so we saw agritourism with an emphasis on like knowing where your food comes from as kind of a niche that wasn't being filled in Maine. And so we started that, and we had gone goat packing. So we started taking our goats out without packs, um, just hiking in the woods and people started coming for that. And then it became kind of a thing around, around here in Southern Maine, the goat hiking has become sort of our most popular offering.
1: So can you tell me, yeah, can you tell me a little more about the goat hiking? What exactly do you do? Well, so people come to the
0: farm. We've changed a lot since the pandemic began, it used to be people came to the farm and they like came into our kitchen and, you know, hung out in our house. Now we've made it a little bit more, obviously more socially distanced. No one comes into the house unless they need to use the bathroom, but people gather on the side of our barn and we have a hand-washing sink and a space, a pen where we have a couple Nigerian dwarf goats, bucklings who, or no, I guess we neutered them. So weathers who, kind of our entertaining people. And we talk to everyone who comes about goat safety. We leave the horns on our goats, which is a little bit controversial in the dairy world, but I think more people are doing it now than when we started out. But we talk about safety and then we walk with the goats in a trail that's about a mile loop in our woods and the goats are untethered. They just kind of walk along with people and people can pet them and- at the end, we have fresh goat milk and cookies and people used to be able to try their hand at goat milking. But again, that's something that we've had to stop because of the the pandemic.
1: A mile sounds like, a re- like you must have a huge amount of space. How many acres did you say you have?
0: Well, so when we first bought the farm, it had 10 acres and then uh, my dad retired and bought a Piece of property adjoining ours that has a house that has eight acres. And when he passed, we, we kept the house on the acreage. So we have about 18 acres and the trail, you know, it's a little serpentine to get that whole mile in, but it's a loop and we go sort of down and around. We have a ridge back there. That's really beautiful. The, the way the land in this part of Maine was carved out by glaciers. It's, it makes for like a really spectacular hike any season.
1: Wow, I would not have thought you could do that. So that's really good to know. (laughs) And then what else do you do in addition to the hiking? So over the years, we've done cheese making and jam
0: and bread baking workshops. We've done sort of basic homesteading skill workshops. We continue to do backyard butchery workshops every summer. So we'll do chickens. And at Thanksgiving, we raise turkeys. And then we invite people to come and learn how to process their own we're pretty diverse in in that you know we have a big garden so our oldest daughter now does a local farmers market um with just our like the random produce that is left over after we pick for ourselves but she has her little niche and you know we live in a small town and so there are always lots of things going on that the farm can be involved in you know the blueberry festival or having people for a garden, you know, garden tours. And so we do that sort of thing, but the agritourism, now that we have this extra house, which I, I guess I forgot to mention that we, we have a rental property. So we rent the other house that was my dad's on the uh, Airbnb. So we have, we have people come and do farm stays.
1: Before people get too excited about All the things you're doing, like the cheese classes in your kitchen and jam classes and teaching people how to butcher and stuff. I want to point out that you're in Maine, which has Mm -hmm. some of the best laws and regulations in terms of being farmer friendly. Yes, And so you've got multiple pieces of legislation that protect farmers um, and and that allow you to do things like teach cheese making classes in your own kitchen.
0: It's true. It's true. There's the main legislature has a sort of limited liability resolution for farms engaging in agritourism. And one of the ways um, that we make sure that everyone is aware of that is by posting it. We have a metal sign that has the language of the legislation posted on the side of our barn. And before anyone comes here for any farm event, uh, we have them sign a waiver saying that they acknowledge this. And that, that has been great. We also, even though we're not a licensed dairy, the town that we live in has a food sovereignty ordinance. So within the town, farmers are allowed to sell from their farm, things like raw milk, you know, with the expectation that people will know their farmer and will come to the farm knowing what they're getting that they're looking around and using, you know, their own judgment about what they can do. And that's, that's one way that, you know, our small town has encouraged like neighbor to neighbor commerce, which has been great for us because we don't really want to be a licensed area, as I said, but we do always have surplus milk. And during, during the first, you know, months of the pandemic, we just put it out in a cooler on the front porch and said, take what you want. But now we sometimes will sell it to people too, which is which is helpful. Make the
1: goats earn their keep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's really funny that we are talking about this today because just this morning I got an email from our Illinois farmers um, lobbying group that Mm -hmm. asked us all to either write letters or at least file witness slips saying that we are in support of this legislation that would limit liability of agritourism farms in Illinois, just like what you have. Yeah. Well, that's great.
0: I mean, I think, I think that would be wonderful if Maine could serve as a model for the whole country for that, because for us, you know, everybody wants to open up their farm. I think, I think it's the rare farmer who doesn't get excited talking about their animals or showing people, you know, especially this time of year when there's Maybe animals everywhere, and you know the the garden is starting to come up. like everybody wants to show their neighbors what they're doing. but the liabil- liability piece can be really scary. I know in in Maine we've just been really lucky that this was the existing legislation when we started up. But with the food sovereignty ordinance here in Gray, Carl was actually on the, the committee that helped come up with the language for that. So sign, sign your petition or whatever, whatever
1: I, this morning, I, (laughs) it was great. Illinois Stewardship Alliance, um, sent me the email and, and it was, and they gave you instructions like, this is exactly what you need to do. And, you know, I just went through and it only took me less than two minutes, you know, fill out my information and say, I'm a proponent of, of this bill and, and I hope it gets passed because I've had some sleepless nights before.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So well, it, it's scary. I mean, I think, you know,
0: in an ideal world, people take personal responsibility for their actions and you can, you know, put out the hand sanitizer, but they'll know to use it. But that's not always the case. I think sometimes the fear of other people being litigious is really, it's really a reasonable one. Right.
1: Um, and I yeah. know people... There's a farmer here that has a dairy um, about an hour away from us, and they have a $100,000 cat because um, they have a little farm store where people can buy their cheese. And like a lot of farms, they have cats, and Mm -hmm. somebody came to get some cheese one day, and this child picked up one of the cats and the cat scratched it and, um, it wound up their insurance company wound up paying out a hundred thousand oh dollars. And I was like, oh my gosh, like did the child's arm have to get amputated because of an infection yeah. or something? And they're like, no, it was just a cat scratch. Wow. Um, and like, that's one of the things, you know, and another farm that I know wound up in a lawsuit because, this woman was not paying attention to her toddler and her toddler crawled under a wooden fence into a pen where this horse was. And and it touched the horse's back legs. And what do horses do when something touches their back legs? It kicked. Oh, and you know, they got I, oh, no. I I don't know if I should say they got lucky. I mean, it ended in their favor, you know, because the judge ruled that the mother was negligent, but they still, they had to go to court and all that kind of stuff. So, and that's the kind of thing that, that would have been covered. Like that would not have even gone to court if we had the kind of protection that you do in Maine, especially and, around and, horses.
0: <laughs> yeah. And in Maine, you know, it's, it's reasonable. Like it's, things that are reasonably likely to occur on a farm. Anything that's unreasonable, obviously, would not be covered. It's not magic legislation, but it is, it, it does cover us. And we stress, you know, before people come to the farm, we really stress that, you know, goats are livestock. And as much as people love having them around and love watching baby goats in pajamas frolicking, they are livestock, they have hooves, the Alpines are big animals, and you know you have to pay attention to our safety talk and follow our our safety rules for everybody's comfort, including the animals because they don't want unpredictable behavior or they'll behave predictably. Right. Um, <laughs> so you know, it's I think the the personal responsibility of people coming to a farm, we really try to to stress to people that this is a working farm. It may be on a small scale. It may be, you know, it's a diversified homestead. It's not a commercial monoculture, but it is, all the animals have a job here. And part of our job is to respect them and let them do their their work. Even if their work, like our lone sheep is just to entertain us. So that's, that's part of our talk at the beginning of, of any experience when people come here. And I think if you put it out there, most people understand, I mean, that there are still people who let their toddlers down and
1: I have to like swoop in and grab them, but it's, it's rare. (laughs) Yeah. I, we do goat classes. Well, we did do goat classes here. I, all my classes Mm -hmm. are online now, but when we did classes on the farm, Mm -hmm. I, um, and I would tell people, you know, they ask if they could bring a child, I would say, well, you know, your children best, it's going to be a lot of lecture, you know, Mm -hmm. if you think they're going to get bored, then it's better not to bring them. And um, one time we were standing out in front of the buck pen, and I had my back to the buck pen because I was talking to everyone in front. And all of a sudden, I hear this woman yelling at her son to get out of there And I turn around and he had climbed over the gate and was in there with the goats. (laughs) Oh, oh, that's terrifying that (laughs) it really is. I mean, luckily I have small friendly bucks, but you know, if that had been like a ram pen. Yeah. Like, well, the ram we've had for the last five years, knock on wood is an angel. All of the previous rams all wound up in the freezer because they turned aggressive at some point. You know, we we had Alexander
0: Ramelton was our ram, and uh, <laughs> so we had Alexander Ramelton and Eliza, and their son Philip is the weather that we kept. But Ramelton got so aggressive; it was like his third birthday. Just something snapped, and no fencing could contain him. And you know, Carl and I each ended up with sprained ankles and fingers. And finally, yeah, finally, we just sent him to the butcher and he's delicious, but it's hard when it, when that happens, you know, it, it feels with him. It felt like, felt like we had done something wrong. You know, why did he turn? But I think, I think maybe not. I think that's just the way Rams go. Right.
1: Yeah. A lot of Rams are, and you, you hear that from sheep people more than goat people about the males being aggressive. Yeah. And we definitely have had our share, you know, like yeah. never turn your back on a ram and, and why they say it's the friendly ram that will break your legs. So yeah. it's really interesting that people compare sheep and goats so much and they're, they're so different. Like yeah. I own both and I can, like, they are so very different. The fact that a lamb will take a bottle, whether it needs it or not, whether it's had one or not, and a baby goat <laughs> acts like you're trying to poison it if you try to give it a bottle, if it hasn't had one before. So if somebody's new and listening to this and you have one or the other species and, and you think they're the same, just know that they're not. <laughs>
0: they're yeah. so Although, different. You
1: know, it's funny because we just
0: have the single sheep, Philip the Weather, he thinks he's a goat. He very rarely behaves like a sheep. Like he often will eat a goat diet, you know, he he will browse rather than graze. He'll, he'll go for bark in a way that I've never seen sheep. And we've only raised, you know, a, a few sheep over the years, but I think he's got some like identity confusion, but, <laughs> but we're just not showing him a mirror. He'll never know that he's truly a, a sheep instead of a goat, yeah. except when he wants to like assert, you know, where his place is and the order of things he knows to step back and, and butt forward instead of rearing up the way the goats do at him, but.
1: So this has been a fun segue, but (laughs) um, when you got started in agritourism, was there anything that surprised you or anything that you think people should be aware of if they're thinking of doing this? So we have had a lot of people, so we do,
0: you know, our primary business is goat hiking and then we have this rental property and we do these other classes. And I think for the rental property, people know that they're coming to a farm, but they have their own driveway. They, they can engage with us as much or little as they want. With the classes, people were coming, knowing that they were looking for knowledge about a certain thing. But with the goat hikes, often we get people who have either read the hike part or the goat part, (laughs) have not (laughs) put it together that all of that will be happening at the same time. Uh And yeah. we had, we've had kids like kids. I say they're like in their, you know, late teens, early twenties come to hang out with the goats wearing slippers and you know, it's a mile hike. It's not strenuous, but it is a mile in the woods or people who are really freaked out that there are goats around them and they signed the liability waiver. They knew where they were headed. So people sort of willingness to, to read what they want to read has been something that we had to get used to just sort of managing our expectation. You know, my expectation is that people read the way I read and that they digest information the way I digest information and that they ask follow-up questions because they want to know the answer and they think that will give them a better experience. And that's not the way everybody operates. And learning that has been a big learning curve for us, figuring out that sometimes we have to be what feels to us like we're being repetitive or like we're kind of bludgeoning people with information. But sometimes you have to do that in order to to make sure people really understand what we're expecting of them to, to have a safe and good time. I think for me, that's been the biggest the biggest thing to learn you know, we, we are, as we were talking about, we're lucky enough to live in a place where liability is limited for agritourism so that we haven't had some of the anxiety there um, that I think people in other States may have had, but making sure that everybody knows what is expected of them in a way that makes them feel like brought along and excited to follow our rules is, has been a challenge sometimes, but that's, that's what we're mostly navigating.
1: (laughs) Do you have a little farm store or is there any kind of an opportunity for people to buy products when they're there or like even your books or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So we have in the summer, we have like a little, just a little kiosk down by the garden where we have t-shirts, you know, we sell t-shirts and hats and, and all of our books, though the, the memoir, the year of the goat is out of print right now. So that's only available on Kindle. And our daughter has a farm stand up right on the road where she sells vegetables and, and eggs and things. So people can buy buy merch while they're here, but we don't have like a specific store for people to, to buy it at. And yeah. if
1: people want to find you online, I know you've got, there are several ways people can find you online. Can you tell us what that is?
0: Yeah. The best way to find us online is to visit our website, which is 10 We're also on social media, Facebook and Instagram at 10
1: apple farm, and they can just stop by in Gray, Maine. (laughs) Yay. Well, this has been so much fun talking to you about this. The time just flew by.
0: No, it's been so great to catch up. I love, I love that we're both still on these goat journeys. It's amazing.
1: Yeah. There's such incredible animals. I just adore them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, for me, they changed the course of my life. So, Me too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Never would have thought that. (laughs) Right? Yeah. I did not grow up thinking I want to be a goat lady (laughs) when I grow up. (laughs) Right? And yet here we are. (laughs) Yep. Well, this has been so much fun. I hope everyone's had a fun time listening to it. And thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes. To see show notes, you can always visit for loveofgoats.com. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lovegoatspodcast. See you again next time. Bye for now.